Welcome to Church in the North, a podcast by ministry leaders and for ministry leaders. I'm your host, Rob Chartrand, Program Coordinator for Christian Ministry at Briarcrest College, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jeff Dresser, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Rob. And back in the studio, we have Dan Goddard, Lead Pastor of Victory Church in Moose Jaw. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Good to be back. Yeah, well, it's good to have you back, Dan. What you been doing? What you been up to? Where you been? Uh, well, I missed last time because I was uh, just a quick trip to Calgary. Flew in, flew out. Uh, it was just two days. So, all right, lots Calgary. Of fun. Is yeah. it uh, is snow melt? Smelt, is the snow melting in Calgary? It was actually very similar to where we are, which okay. was just kind of mushy and uh, yeah. warm though, which yeah. is nice because we had yeah. the cold spell. So, so what were you doing in Calgary? So, I, I had a chance to meet with my old church, mm-hmm. uh, so the staff there, and uh, they're rock, and it's a great church, doing mm-hmm. good things. Um, so they they are filled up two services and looking at going to three services. And um, we did that uh, not that long ago, just a year ago. So okay. it's still yep. fresh in our yep. minds. So they just asked me to come and chat with their staff about what the challenges are and some of their fears and concerns about what that might look like. Right, and, right. And uh, yeah. But they've done the second service. They just go into three. Exactly. Is a, is a bit different. Adding a third. Yeah. 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 Kids ministry, all yeah. the questions. You know, there's yeah. lots of lots of challenges that come with that. And they, it's, it's a neat place a good group and uh, they've planted churches uh, yeah. in, in the last little bit too so yeah that's great exciting group to be a, hmm. around now jeff you were telling me a little bit earlier you guys did something called team day at your church is that right uh what's what's going on with this team day like that happened also this week right yeah 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 so it's a day where um <clears throat> take a saturday it's about like nine to about two thirty. And it's like a big family meeting, and uh, I mean, Victory. How long have we been doing that, Dan? Like fifteen like, years. Fifteen wow. years. Okay. It's a. This is a new. It's yeah. a great day to share the vision and sort of talk, you know, family business uh, for the church. You know, things that wouldn't be that you just don't have time to do on a Sunday morning, but mm. uh, and we make it fun. It's like a party. Okay. And, uh, okay. Yeah, we invite yeah. everyone in the whole church to come. Okay. So we don't yeah. get everyone, but yeah. I mean, amazingly, we get. Uh, yeah, we we had over two hundred people. Yeah, that's a good um, that's a good chunk. Yeah, we yeah. sit at tables, yeah. uh, at round tables, and so people connect with each other. They get to know each other. It's amazing how you can come on a Sunday and uh, not really get to know anybody. So, mm. chance for that. Share lots of vision and uh, direction for the year, and really yeah. focus on ownership. Like this yeah. is your yeah. church. Yeah, this is your mission. Um, we're going to accomplish this together this year. So yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you guys are planning to launch another uh, service as well, and so you probably talked about a bit about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So whatever our sort of bold moves are for the coming year, yeah. um, we we cast the vision for those at Team Day. We actually call it our most important day of the year, hmm. and we make that abundantly clear. We talk about it most of the year long. Yeah, and uh, make it a, a big fun event. And yeah, we did talk about uh, adding another service in some way. Yeah, so we don't have our plans laid out uh, entirely yet, but we just shared it where we're at okay. with it. Put all our cards on the table and say, hey, church, pray about this. Think about it. Right. Let's, we're in this together. So, so yeah. Yeah. So I, now this thing is bumping, I hear. Like there's some uniqueness to this team day that you might not find in, in most uh, expressions <laughs> of ecclesiology. <laughs> it, it, it's a party, man. And uh, so uh, it's uh, for introverts like me. It's a day of growth, you know. Uh, so, like we do, there's like dancing, and we we dropped like I don't know how many balloons were in the thousands. Auditor, of like balloons. A, wow, thousand. Balloon and then we played a game where you had to sit on the balloons and pop as many balloons as possible. So, 
Uh, it's fun, and it's like uh, and Corinthian some people communion. really enjoyed yeah. the, uh, <laughs> the the balloon game. There's confetti but, um, everywhere. Actually, when you walk yeah. in in the morning, like it's early morning, yeah. there's a big breakfast spread there, and the the song "Celebrate Good Times" is playing nice and loud. Wow! And then when you walk into the sanctuary, you have to walk through. Um, streamers mm-hmm. and there's a group of people on the other side you don't know this on the other side of the streamers yeah. cheering and shouting yeah. Yeah. and high-fiving you so you walk in you feel very celebrated wow. and uh and then the whole day has that feel to it wow. um, of <laughs> energy your custodians are making overtime they're making bank that weekend it is <laughs> the cleanup is wild and the funny thing is though because the entire day we talk about being a team yeah yeah at the end of the day we like so as a team we have to clean this every place cleanup up. love and, it yeah love it and there's like aerobics is, or dance or something <laughs> yeah like there, a there's a uh what would we call it uh, a body movement break yes in the, in the <laughs> afternoon and it was led participation by a, a very enthusiastic sort of fitness instructor, and it's, yeah, it's it's super fun. I mean, it, it really is a, a lot of fun, and it's not all just, uh, you know, games and laughter. No. There, there are, um, you know, pretty serious talks about what it means to be the church, but it, it is a, um, I mean, I've never uh, been a part of a church that, um, that celebrated and emphasized uh you know, doing church as a team mm. the way mm. the way we do now. Yeah. So it is uh, it is a, a pretty great thing. We we had people from other churches coming to sort of observe and yeah. and figure out how they could adapt something like that right? to yeah. to their own church, they're which gonna, maybe gonna... slightly less crazy for most churches. But um, yeah. hey, we like to have fun. So I mean, that, that's a huge value for us. Yeah, and and. Yeah, like Jeff said, it, there is a, a serious element to it yeah, too. So yeah, there is yeah, a, it's not all just hype. A, yeah, yeah, there's a yeah. lot of sharing about reaching unchurched people, yeah, and there's yeah. you know some pretty intense yeah. moments. And we actually finish it with a commissioning. We commission mm. everyone uh, to go into their communities and be the church. Wow. You know, be the church day by day in, in your daily life. And, mm. yeah. Wow. Well, that's great. Um, did so other churches show up and steal your dance moves, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Bring them back to their church, and yeah, a bunch of hacks. D- Come d- on, dancing like me would not lead to growth in any church at all. So, <laughs> well, today's Wednesday, January thirty first, and I don't know if you guys know this, but it is National Backward Day. I looked it up. Uh, what does this day mark? It's National Backward Day. So it's one of those days where you do things backwards intentionally, just for fun and. Uh, have you guys ever celebrated National Backward Day before? I have. I have not. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, at my kids' school, the previous church I was at had a school in it, and they would do Backwards Day. Would be part of I don't know one of the days. One day for a Spirit year. Days. So yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of a kids thing, right? But it is a. It's kind of a big deal. So I mean, yeah, national. Um, yeah, it's national. You put national in front of anything. It's like national. It's huge. Brussels sprouts day. Um, yeah. You know, actually, I think it is actually national eat Brussels sprouts day as well. So, oh wow. Yeah. So pick pick your day. Uh, I if, love Brussels sprouts. Just want to say that <clears throat> I do. Don't Not, sleep on Brussels too. sprouts. Yeah, that's right. I'm, yeah. I'm big on that. I got lots of recipes, and most of them have bacon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to get people to eat them. <laughs> uh, so if it, if you were to celebrate National Backward Day, and it was like a cultural phenom, and everyone was doing it, how would you celebrate National Backward Day? I think I would start my day with a movie. You know, just because often you know you finish the day with nice watching a show yeah, or whatever. I yeah, think that yeah. would be my yeah yeah kick back. Wake up in the morning, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All the things you do in the evening, you just do in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I would and love then, that. And then end the day with breakfast. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fantastic too. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, any any thoughts on that? I, I, I think I would. Um, 
I would just give vent to all of my worst instincts and just be like completely unrestrained, uh, nastiest, and then just say, it's backwards day. And and that would be my excuse, I think. um, So maybe it's good that I don't celebrate backwards day. (laughs) We're not going to allow you to celebrate that. That would be my temptation anyway. Yeah. I I thought about, uh, like, I, I have like a... I don't know, 15 kilometer commute to, to work. And so I thought it would be great to drive down the highway backwards um, mm. and just use the reverse cam all the way. Wow. Um, yeah. I thought yeah. That'd be, I mean, I couldn't go super fast cause I'd probably end up in the ditch, but just the expression on my wife's face as I did it, cause we're commuting buddies, which is, okay. would just yeah. be worth it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's a great, yeah. You could <laughs> be quite a drive. Yeah. It'd be long. Well, opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the Church in the North podcast. No. So uh, we, we do not endorse <laughs> don't, you don't driving endorse this. work to backward. Uh, to or work or you just uh, being completely unrestrained for a day. So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. If, if it's a cultural phenomenon, like I'm sure there's probably other people that would do that that day. So I would do it with them. Yeah. Um, only for, with a backup camera, though, because if I had to do it with my shoulder over the seat, you know, I'd get a sore yeah. back. It's a long drive. But uh, uh, speaking of going backwards, if you were to go back in time 20 years, like think of yourself 20 years ago, young pastor just kind of idealistic but um you know um maybe lacking some skills um how would you change the way you do ministry is there anything you do differently if you were to take your current wise seasoned brain and put it in your 25 year old body what would you do jeff how about you well i yeah i think if i if i went back 20 years i like when i started in ministry one of the ideas I had was that, uh, you know, I was so smart that I knew what the perfect church mm, was, yeah. you know, what still do. What this yeah. this church should be for our content. We, One where everybody shows do. up every Sunday. Well, th- that, <laughs> yes. Uh, but I thought it was my job to make the church into this perfect church. Right, yeah. And yeah. Um, first of all, I mean, I was worship. I wasn't even the lead pastor. and uh, And I really... I mean, I wasted a lot of energy and created a lot of sort of negative emotion over over that. Mm. And it took me a number of years. Uh, part of it was I kind of had to die to that. And I realized that there was like, uh, there was some pr- a pride element into right. being at a church that did everything the right way and did mm-hmm. it well. And I had to be, I had to be okay with uh, sometimes you just got to muddle along the best you can, and mm. it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and also, uh, kind of, you know, understanding that, like, you know, the big picture things, the overall direction of the church is not my responsibility. That's, you know, God has put a lead pastor and a board or however that's set up. And, uh, and, and to be at peace with that's their responsibility, and they're the ones that are accountable to the Lord right. for those decisions. And my role is to is to support and uh, and submit to their leadership, and to and just to understand that it's God's church, mm-hmm. and um, and He's going to work in His own mysterious ways in His timing, and uh, and I need to be at peace with that. Mm-hmm. Okay, neat. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Dan? Well, I, I, my answer ties into that, so it's kind of fun to hear that. Yeah, I, I think. For me, if I was to go back 20 years, I would just say less anxiety and, uh, you know, just trust God. Mm. Like, trust God knows what he's doing. Trust God's got the church, got me, got my family. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think I've lived with maybe undue amounts of stress. 
Um, there, you know, there's lots of things about life sure. and ministry that are stressful, yeah. and uh, that's I, I don't I don't think I would want to lessen those mm-hmm. in my life necessarily, but just the way I respond to them. Mm-hmm. And to remind myself as a pastor, like, not everything's riding on my shoulders. Not, you know, the whole world. I don't have to carry the whole world. Right, right, right. And, uh, so yeah. so you, you find yourself, you're more chill now or more... I do think I am more than I was. Things, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I'm still learning that for sure. It's still a journey for me. It's mm-hmm. definitely one of my trial points is that I, I tend to be really intense, yeah. which can be a strength. Yeah. But then it comes as a weakness too. And if I could speak to my younger self, that mm-hmm. would be one of the things. Mm-hmm. It's just relax. Yeah. God's got this. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I think I would, um, I would preach a better gospel. Like Mm. I I think when I was young, I I was kind of trained in like these gospel strategies. Like it's it's the kind of a salvific gospel, you know, the Romans road or Mm -hmm. the four spiritual laws and whatnot. And, and assuming that was the gospel. And, you know, that was really a part of my ministry is I, to get people to the decision, Mm -hmm. right. But not to actually proclaim, a larger, more robust gospel um, about Christ and the story of Christ and his, you know, his picture in in cosmic history and and all of that. I, I just, I didn't do that very well. Mm-hmm. I didn't do that very well. And I, and I, I sometimes look back and on the people I led, and I and I think I don't think I discipled them well mm-hmm. with the full gospel of of the story of Jesus. It was about getting them into heaven, and mm-hmm. uh, now that they were, and then you know maybe teach them to read their Bible and whatnot. But I, I, I didn't have that as part of my preaching. I didn't have it as part of my teaching. And uh, so I, the reason why it's fresh in my brain, because I'm teaching a class right now on evangelism and discipleship. Right. And we're looking at historical evangelism strategies. And um, and the question that inevitably comes up early in the class is, what is the gospel? Right. right? And we yeah. think the gospel is the four spiritual laws, but it's not. Sure. That's a, you know, an aspect of it, but it's not. And so anyway, that's in my mind. It's like, man, I... I feel like for probably for about 15 years of my life, I, I kind of missed the mark. Sure. There's more richness yeah. and more beauty and yeah. more more in the gospel. Yeah. Than, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, the, and the fuller gospel actually calls us to discipleship. Right. Because we understand the, the kind of the cosmic implications and, you know, the, the reality of who Jesus actually is, right? Rather than, you know, this quick and easy prayer to get me into heaven, yeah. you know, which um, leads to kind of converts, but not really disciples, right? Mm. So anyway, that's I would do that differently. I would yeah. do that differently. Yeah, yeah I kind awesome. of did it backwards. Um, well, hey guys, this week on the podcast, we will be hearing from Dustin Funk. He's the lead pastor of Oasis Church in Winnipeg, Winnipeg Manitoba. And we're going to hear about his church and how they had to go backwards <laughs> to go forwards. You see what I did there? Nice. Yeah. yeah. It's all coming together. Yeah. So uh, most churches move uh, from renting a portable facility and then move into owning their own building. And, and certainly in, in my church plant experience, that's what uh, happened with us. But Oasis decided to do it backwards. And we're going to find more out, uh, find out more about that in the interview. And, and I mean, Dustin's going to have so much more that he's going to share with us awesome. as well. So, uh, yeah. Thanks for hanging with me, guys. And uh, see you next week. Yeah, it's great to be here, Rob. Okay, good. Thank you. Well, hey, we're excited to have on Church in the North today, Dustin Funk. He is the lead pastor of Oasis Church in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Dustin, welcome to Church in the North. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller. So uh, great, <laughs> great to be here with you. Awesome. So you're the one. That's yeah. great. <laughs> 
we're gonna we're gonna get into uh, a lot of uh, interesting details about what's happening in your church, but we want to go back uh, a little ways uh, and want to talk about your ministry backstory. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners how, how did you end up in ministry, and maybe after that, where did you serve prior to coming to Oasis? Yeah, so I uh, I was fortunate enough to um, grow, grow up going to a great church. I grew up uh, in Winnipeg here where I'm serving, and I went to Calvary Temple Church. Pastor, some of you in the West or uh, maybe you can't, I might heard of H.H. Barber. He was my pastor. And so just phenomenal right. church with great youth ministries and camp connections. And, and for me, I just had some really powerful experiences with God when I was in my uh, teenage years and kind of just knew that this was his plan for me. Um mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so grateful, grateful for that. Uh, went to college in Saskatchewan at a small college in Saskatoon. And then uh, in one of my summers, my first two summers, I, uh, I was working, I was lifeguarding. One summer I actually went tree planting with a guy you'll know, Wes Olmstead from, uh, from Briarcrest. He took me up. That's great. Princeton. I just yeah. had a meeting with yeah. Wes an hour ago. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, and then the following year I'd signed up to, uh, go back with them tree planting, but I got a call out of the blue to work at a church in Ottawa from a guy I knew in Winnipeg. And, uh, mm. so I called Wes and said, Hey, I feel like this is God's leading. And I was a pretty terrible tree planter. So he was happy to <laughs> probably get me off his crew without breaking my, you know, I, it was, it's not me, it's you, you know, and, uh, I did a lot of J roots. Did you? <laughs> oh, I think I did actually. So, yeah. So, um, so then, uh, I came back from, uh, that summer position in Ottawa and, um, yeah, I just was, uh, I was starting to connect with, uh, uh, a youth pastor in Winnipeg to work with him at a church. And then, um, just was praying by my bedside one night and felt, uh, God said to me, I want to put you in a place where you'll teach and preach on a regular basis. And it wasn't audible, but it's like, whatever is one decibel below that. It was just very sure. clear so yeah. much that I just said, uh, you got, if that's what you want, I'll say yes to that. And I mm. woke the next morning to uh, a phone call. I had a spare. I was going to U of M at the time, finishing off uh, uh, another degree. And, um, and it was my pastor uh, at Calvary Temple. Pastor Barber had retired at that time. And Pastor Bruce Martin gave me a call and said, hey, there's this church that wants someone to teach on Sunday. It's a little Italian mm. church. So I was like a little Twilight Zone moment, looked at the phone and said yes. And, uh, I don't know. What how, how old were you about that time? I was 21. So I, I wow. just celebrated 25 years at Oasis or what, you know, became yeah. Oasis, uh, this fall. And, uh, they yeah. were really small, really desperate. And I was, uh, I, you know, you just, you, one of my favorite writers talks about how callings are precious things. Sometimes you only get one in a lifetime and, hmm. and not to say that this will be my forever, but, um, I was so lucky to be led there. And that, that calling story, I've gone back to a number of times when things have gotten hard over the years, just to say, okay, God, you, you led me here. You're going to supply all I need to get through yeah. this. Uh, so that's kind of, the uh, nutshell version of yeah, how, uh, yeah. how I got to this church. So that was your first church then, like in, we're in a full-time ministry capacity. Yeah, yeah. All my years That's in amazing. Saskatoon, I had yeah. interned at a smaller church. I grew up going to a big church and I just realized, yeah. hey, like that may not be my future in ministry. So I interned at a small ch- smaller church in Saskatoon mm. and, and then did that summer thing I was telling you about in Ottawa and then started here. Yeah, so it's my first, first uh, kind of full-time gig. Okay. Well, give us a bit of or- of the origin story of Oasis. What, when, how did it get started before you got there? Yeah. 
Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of similar to a lot of ethnic stories, ethnic church stories in Canada, mm-hmm. where uh, churches that uh, have a lot of immigration from certain areas, often the churches, the only place where you hear your language from the old country in Canada. Yeah. And so, you know, in Winnipeg, a lot of our Filipino churches are just crushing it. You know, they're doing really well. Uh, yeah. And if immigration stops, though, which is what happened um, Italy as a country went through some really hard times post-war. There was a lot of immigration to Canada. Yeah. And so a church was born out of um, that, an evangelical church that, um, <clears throat> or a, even a Pentecostal church, I guess it was, uh, yeah. out of the ministry of Calvary Temple, again, as uh, some, you know, a lot of Italian people are just, you know, very uh, devout Catholics. And these people had experiences right. uh, that didn't really fit with that. And so uh, the church did fairly well for a while. And then... Um, just through some conflict and through migration, it, it had um, it had kind of really shrunk and kind of resisted as many, unfortunately, many ethnic churches resist becoming part of the dominant culture. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, and when I, I kind of say joke when I started that, you know, there was, there was only a small handful of older Italian people and their kids, they were only Italian at World Cup soccer time, you know. Right, the yeah, time yeah, totally. Canadian. Yeah. So um, I was brought in because I think they were, they kind of reached a point of desperation and they realized uh, they needed to, you know, reach, become part of that larger culture that surrounded them. And, and, um, but that being said, my first number of months there, I can't remember how long it was. I was speaking through an interpreter uh, into hmm. uh, Italian Sunday morning, yeah. Sunday night. And over time we just kind of, uh, as uh, I maybe built up a little trust with these people, I didn't try to make any changes yeah. the first while just said, Hey, like, Let's look around. None of your kids are here. None of your grandkids are here. What yeah. if we try something new? And these, um, sorry, it gets a bit emotional for me because these beautiful mm. people said yes. And mm. for them, reaching lost people was more than their old songs, their old ways yeah. of doing things. Yeah. More incredibly supportive for, uh, for, well, for, there's, there's almost none of them left. They've all passed away, but, um, wow. incredibly supportive of what, uh, we were doing through the years when it probably was not their style of music, their style of church, but yeah. they had a heart for the things of the Lord and, and uh, the kingdom of God living on past them. So very yeah. powerful. Yeah. yeah. Good on them. So, so you, you're obviously a funk that doesn't sound mm. very Italian. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Dustino Funkarelli was what my uh, buddies <laughs> called me working here. Because, yeah. Again, they were desperate. So they, you know, they didn't uh, have it. Yeah. They couldn't find an Italian pastor <laughs> yeah. probably Italian speaking. Yeah. 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 And so working with a translator for a while. Wow. That, I mean, that, that it cuts your preparation time in half because you got to wait <laughs> yeah. for the response, right? Yeah. Like you're only doing half yeah. a sermon in many ways. Well, I'm sure Pastor Vincenzo in, improved a lot of my sermons as a young guy when he translated <laughs> them for me. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's, that is a chan- challenge with a lot of um, head, homogeneous churches that um, are, have language specific contexts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and then their kids grow up Canadian. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I have a number of churches. I mean, some we've had on the podcast, we've talked about that. Like, I mean, what do you do with these kids who are third culture? They, they're comfortable in their home culture, but they're also comfortable in Canadian culture. And then they begin to disappear from church uh, or they go to other churches. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's amazing that they had the foresight and the, and the vision to say, yeah, I mean, it's not a, our preferred mm-hmm. context, but we're willing to, yeah, for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom, uh, go to English. So what was that like? What, talk to us about that, changing it to English. Did it, did it take right away? Did a lot of them speak English? Or yeah, most of language? them spoke at least uh, broken English. Almost almost all of them did. Maybe some of the very old people uh, didn't, but but they were so just excited to uh, 
have young people coming in. You know, there was all, all of a sudden when we did that, there was a rush of, uh, I had been working at a Youth for Christ camp and I don't know, some of the connections there that kind of followed me. And so I think they were just so excited to have other people come in. And um, <clears throat> yeah, it, um, it it was a journey that we really, uh, they embraced and were yeah. supportive of. And we go back to that story. I, I talk to our church now as there's changes about saying, hey, this has always been the the heart of our church, that it's mm, not been about yeah. us. It's about who is not here. And, and, you know, Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories in succession about, um, you know, a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son, and, and yeah. just how focused his our God's heart is on people that aren't here. And that's been the story of this, this church where imagine, imagine your church going into a different language. Uh, surely we can put up with these changes so that we make room for more people or their cars or their kids or, and, uh, yeah. and uh, we're lucky to have a heritage like that. May it long, may it continue to encourage yeah. the people of Oasis going forward. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how, how, what was the size of the church when, when, when you, when you did that? Was it just under a hundred or was it um, a little bit bigger than that? Oh, it was smaller than that. It was only uh, maybe 12 or 15 people my first week there. And so it was really like, they could, I think that really led to the desperation where mm. they, you know, they could see the writing on the wall that they were all senior citizens. This is this, this something has to change pretty quickly. And yeah. uh yeah. And, you know, there's maybe a few more people connected to the church than that, that would started coming back pretty soon after they had a, you know, another pastor, they'd gone a while without one. And so we maybe, you know, uh, normalized a little bigger than that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, it, it was, it was very small. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to talk about you outgrowing a building. We'll get there mm-hmm. in a minute, but um, obviously you went through a season of growth. Uh, what, yeah. what contributed to the season of growth? Well, yeah. So we started in a in a small building there on uh, on Cathcart Street in Winnipeg, and the cool thing was because of the, some of their past history and people being generous, this church was almost paid off after a few years mm-hmm. of me working there. And so we had a, a ministry center. And, but like a lot of churches in Canada, it, they, these weren't built with a lot of foresight where, you know, you had a church that seated 120, a foyer that held about eight people and parking for about 15. Yeah, and yeah, so totally. we, yeah. we, we went through some massive uh, renovations through some of the generosity of the existing people there, one, one person in particular. And, um, and then just, you know, we've always been word of mouth, word of mouth at, uh, advertising and, and people inviting friends. And I don't know if that's something we, we talked to later or not, but what, I can't remember at what point in the journey we read about, a, I think it was a Barna stat, but it was someone saying, um, for people who don't attend church that actually show up on a given Sunday, 86% are invited by a trusted friend. And right. if you think yeah. about that, that means that almost 100% of your advertising is useless if it's not mm-hmm. through a, through an invite, like it's just too big a yeah. step to come on a Sunday morning. Um, That's if right. someone's not saying I'll meet you at the door or I'll pick you up and I'll sit with you. And so we've always, uh, just tried to trust that. And that goes into part of our strategy is that, um, building trust with your people. And mm-hmm. if we, uh, if we are consistent in the experience we provide, yeah, yeah. They become your growth engine. Because I think most people, if the Holy Spirit's working in our life, we want to share our hope. We want to invite friends. But the question they're asking their pastor every Sunday is, can I trust you? You know, uh, yeah. when I was in Saskatoon, my roommate uh, was from Brandon, Manitoba. And one Sunday we went to this, it was a great church and we wanted to invite friends. And so he bumped into a friend of his and uh, the, this person's girlfriend, they were living together in Brandon. And he said, hey, you got to come to church with us. And we brought them. And this was a great church, but they came 
game on the Sunday where the this missionary was there. And it was one of the weirdest religious experiences of my life, you know, and all the way yeah. home, we're apologizing to them in the car that next Sunday, the pastor's apologizing to the church. And, 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 and that made an impression on me, though, that you, you realize that what's at stake every Sunday is someone's first chance, uh, someone's maybe only chance they're giving at church. What are you going to do? But it also it tells you it was more than just that one Sunday. It it breaks trust with your people where they say, I don't know what's coming next. Sunday. And that's, that's right. Yeah. That's in the length of our services. That's in the quality of our services. That's in uh, all these things. And in, in if you are humble enough and diligent enough to build a consistent experience, your people become your growth engine. And, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and there's people I joke with at our church that say, I got to put you on staff just because they've brought 50 or 60 people. No exaggeration, just because yeah. they're yeah. they're comfortable inviting because they know we're not going to embarrass you as a newcomer. Uh, we're we're going to hopefully provide the gospel adds meaning to our life. And I think it's our job to show that. So what in our sermon? Yeah. So, yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, you have a come and see culture, right? So it's yeah. the idea of the one one disciple taking the other disciple and say, oh, we'll, we'll come and see. And so it's a bringer culture. And yeah. so you have these people who are bringers on their arms, bringing to people to church. But before that, they're cultivating trust relationships with them. I mean, they're sowing seeds of the gospel. I mean, because they're not just going to say to a random stranger, hey, just come to church because they'll go, oh, I'm not sure. So, I mean, there's oh. a, obviously that's a culture that you guys have where you are. And and I think you're right. Like with the, if the if the Sunday morning expression is inconsistent, like service lengths is could be a half an hour and, or two hours or preacher quality it varies or worship quality varies. And, and so your bringers stop bringing because they're like, I don't want to, I don't want to sabotage this relationship that I've built with my friend. And they, I bring them on a, on a Sunday, we, we would call it the cringe factor, you know? Mm, so yeah. if they're, if they're bringing somebody on a Sunday morning and there's a whole lot of cringe and then they're, then they have to spend the rest of the day apologizing to that person or explaining to them, Oh yeah, I'm sorry. You know? Um, and, and, and if I could just add to that, like yeah. uh, for people that complain, one of their first questions is, Hey, when was the last time you brought someone with you? Because if you do that and you're sitting in church, you like grow antennas out of every pore of your body and you're just like, yeah. I hope the music's good. I hope Dustin doesn't lay an egg for a sermon, you know, and, uh, yeah. uh, and, and you understand why we serve good coffee and why you, you and, and if you get too far from that, you, you often end up complaining about the, the wrong things in church and, uh, and yeah. not that there aren't things to complain about. Hey, I'd be one of my, one of my good buddies gives me language where he says when people complain, hey, I'd be disappointed if you weren't disappointed. Like I, yeah. I have trouble too with a lot of things we're still working out, but um, <clears throat> if you bring a, a lost person with you, man, you see everything through new eyes. And if I could add one other thing to that, Rob, yeah. if that's okay, just I would say uh, a learning that I got from uh, my buddy, Phil Kniesel, who's a pastor at Hope City Church in Edmonton, who'd be a great guest on this podcast as well. Yeah, Phil, yeah. Um, is just uh, the power of online services, which now that's, this was, mm -hmm. he was talking this before the pandemic, but yeah. just for outsiders, it's sometimes too big a step to come into a church and online services, if your quality is, you know, you want your quality to be good, but it gives people a way to check things out before they'd ever darken the doors. And where do you go? I don't know if I go anywhere today without checking online first. For sure, That's people right. are going to yeah. do that with church. Yeah, we, we assume the front door of our church is the front door of our church. It's not. It's your website yeah. or your your YouTube yeah. account or whatever. I mean, that's yeah. what they're going to check out for. I mean, we had at Crosspoint, I mean, we had visitors come all the time. Every week you have new people. And yeah. if I can, can, I ask them, how did you hear about Crosspoint? And they'll all inevitably say, oh, we went online and we checked out your church. We've been watching for two or three weeks. 
Yeah. You know, to see if it's okay yeah. to step inside the door. Um, and yeah, it doesn't to, matter if you're believers or non-believers, they're still going to do that. Well said. Yeah. We used to tell our parking team, Hey, Sundays begin in the parking lot, but that's not really true. They begin on social media now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting. Uh, and for people uh, who are listening, uh, the one page that they go to the most uh, is, is your sermon page or maybe the I'm new page, but it's also your staff page. Hmm. They're going to check out your staff page. And I would say, don't ignore that page because it's really important uh, for, for outsiders. They want to know who's there and uh, yeah. who am I going to meet when I get there. Well said. Um, I would do, um, I did this with my own church, uh, with our, our teams, but I, I, I would do it in my consultancy with other churches as well, is I would take the whole team out to the beginning of the parking lot. And I say, you know, let's walk through this with newcomer lenses. Mm. What do you see? You know, what, what's their first impression? Oh, oh, it's hard to find a parking spot. Or you get to the front door. What do you see? Oh, I have a greeter there. Oh, but he's talking to somebody else. You know, like, so walking through every step. And one thing yeah. you don't want to ignore is bathrooms. Like bathrooms, yeah. the men, you can get away with it with the men. <laughs> but as, as my wife and I have toured churches, she's just like, oh, that bathroom's gross. I never want to come back here kind of thing. Mm, um, mm, and after yeah. doing that tour, I came back to our church and like, we got to fix the bathrooms. Like, that's a significant factor, but all of that matters. And so some of us might, you know, some of our listeners might hear this and go, well, you're just, you're being driven by consumerism in you saying this. How would you respond to that? Oh man, the details matter. Uh, the details matter on stuff you believe in. And uh, um, reality is whether you like it or not, is someone has prayed and prepared and witnessed to their son or their daughter and mm -hmm. they've brought them and they're, they, they say they're going to give one chance to church. And for us, we talk about removing the unnecessary obstacles Yes, where yeah. you're just not going to complain about the sound being bad or the bathrooms being dirty or not getting a spot. So that if you're going to – like the gospel is offensive. The gospel says, I am not enough. I yeah. am a great sinner and I needed to find, thanks be to God, a great Savior. But if you're going to turn away from Jesus, please let that be the reason and not all the other reasons. And – um <clears throat> These, these details matter because people matter. And uh, so we're going to bring our best. We believe that excellence honors God and it inspires people. And that was something that, you know, we had to change a little bit where the mm -hmm. attitude sometimes the start of our church was, hey, we're not using this. Let's give it to the church, which, you know, which is fine. Right. But this is also an attitude of, hey, let's bring our first and our best uh, as a response to the cross where Apostle Paul said the cross was an unspeakable gift. And mm -hmm. It's inappropriate for me to respond to that with conditions and say, you know, this part of my life's off limits. And what if we did that with our resources as well yeah. and with our space? Because, it, you know, if your space looks good, it communicates, we really believe in this. We value this. We value this message. So, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, there's something to what you guys did in your lot. And uh, I might steal that idea from you, Rob. And one thing with <laughs> that, too, is we've used secret shoppers a lot, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way forward too. Uh, if anyone needs a secret shopper, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they'll tell you the uh, honest truth though, and it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. We have to say, yeah, "Oh, yeah, we yeah. missed that. We failed, and and we didn't think of this." And thank you, because ultimately, that type of feedback it is a gift. Yeah, yeah, and I think what undergirds it all as well is just a a, a strong understanding of biblical hospitality. Like welcoming the stranger, welcoming mm -hmm. the foreigner, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. welcoming the outsider. How do you do that well? And and so it's not just a consumptive itch that you're trying to scratch, but rather yes. there is this sense of you're welcoming people into the community of faith in a way that that 
like you say, is without obstacles. So, yeah. Yeah. so let's get back to your story a little bit. Um, so you, you started to experience this season of growth. Did you go through some of the similar patterns that, you know, churches would go through? We need to hire this position, you know, youth mm-hmm. and children and mm-hmm. an associate and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> we're so lucky that we were able to uh, recruit just some great staff. And some of that's by the Lord's leading. Some of that is by fluke or whatnot. But uh yeah, you, you know, as you grow, uh, I really love what Rick Warren says. As you start growing, you, you're, some of your first staff hires have to be generalists. They have to wear a few hats yeah. and be able to do a few things. We're very lucky. Uh, Wesley Weiss was uh, my first hire. is a lifelong friend, and he mm. just does so many things well. He's now kind of his role is now kind of focused into being in, in charge of just the Sunday morning experience um, in, in total in, in our auditorium and then just from the, you know, the foyers and, and that. But, uh, it, and then similarly, uh, we did that with our, our children's, well, the children's is such a large thing. We had, we hired a children's pastor as we grew and, um, yeah. Hired our youth guy, but yeah, our youth guy started. He was also doing our lighting and things, just because you need to turn it into a full time position. And yeah, uh, yeah, as as things grew, and I think um, you can never overestimate the importance of building the right team with the right people. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, uh, we we had uh, some of our growth challenges were just actually though getting back to your question, we're in space where we were in this yeah. little building, and sometimes um, you know, again, in the words of Rick Warren. Uh, you, sometimes the shoe tells the foot how big it can grow. Yeah, and that's right. Your church, our church, we we had to get out of this little building if we were going to keep <clears> growing. And so um, we were, you know, we were being shown by real estate op- agents other options that were slightly bigger. But I could just see we were probably going to have that same problem again in a, right. in a few months. Yeah, exactly. So I was reading, uh, I can't remember which, it was Outreach or one of these church magazines back mm-hmm. 20 years ago. And I saw an uh, article uh, adver- or I guess an advertisement for Portable Church Industries. Yes. And, uh, yes. Uh, I, I went to a lot of church planning conferences and I saw those nice kits prefab. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and I just saw that I knew that that is a, a solution for us. And mm-hmm. many early minus 30 mornings in Winnipeg regretted the decision and thought, what was I doing? But uh, it was phenomenal. And so we moved moved from, um, well, we actually kept our building. Our building was our youth space and our offices, okay. yeah. but we met in a, in a junior high, uh, nearby for, uh, 12 and a half years. We were a portable church. Yeah. And, uh, and, and for all the listeners, like if you're looking for a growth solution, portable church industries out of, uh, I think they're out of Detroit, a phenomenal ministry that as I talked to Pete a few years ago, just to say, thanks for all those years. I think they'd at that point created over a million seats. If you can mm. imagine that for churches, yeah all around the world in, you know, we, we used a gym, but sometimes it's in theaters and auditoriums in schools yeah. or in community colleges. And, um, I think we were the first church in Canada to do a full system where, you know, we bought three 24 foot trailers with all the cases and it was a huge investment for us at the time. And, and it, it, it was a huge investment of our people where we had literally hundreds of people on our setup and teardown teams yeah. that <clears throat> would show up very early on uh, cold and hot yeah. Sunday mornings and stay and tear down. But it was beautiful. And, you know, it, I, one, in one way I almost miss those days because it gave ownership to 
people that are a little more rugged, you know, people that are never going to be working in kids' ministry yeah, in the choirs. Sure. They they showed up and turned wrenches to put together stages and backdrops, and that was their church. And so, you know, when we moved into our facility room now, we, we've tried very hard to move them into positions of ministry. But uh, in some ways, I regret that as uh, just not having that that place of participation. But yeah, yeah it was school. it was the same for us when we went from portable into a building. I mean, there was a lot of, there were a lot of, there was a lot of camaraderie that was built in that Sunday morning setup teardown experience. And a lot of more men were involved too. Yeah. Like they yeah, were just incredible. moving stuff and then having coffee and tearing down. And um, mm-hmm. so there was a sense of loss when we finally got a building and we had to really think strategically, well, how can we then get them involved? And I don't know if we ever really did in the same way. Yeah. 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 So, uh, what did you do with your equipment? I mean, well, we'll get back to that. I mean, you, you obviously you didn't stay portable forever, but you did it backwards. I mean, uh, you mm. you went from a building to a portable. Um, mm. I mean, that not a lot of churches do that. Was that a hard sell for your community? Uh, yeah, in some ways, just because uh, <clears throat> they could see the work that was ahead. And um, in some ways, like we didn't do the, by the end, I think we did the uh, gym we were meeting in pretty well, but at the start yeah. we didn't, and you're kind of figuring this out, but there was just a heart to reach more people. And, but, but you were leaving a really, after our renovations on this building, we started, it was cozy. It was beautiful. And, and to leave that into a cold gym. Um, but we, we knew we just couldn't stay there. We, we were, there was mm. no room to invite friends and, and, um, uh, <clears throat> It was a costly. It was a big investment for us, uh, but it was also created buy-in and ownership. And uh, yeah. it was uh, it was a great season that mm. kind of gave us a fighting spirit because you know there's some Sundays when you know just the the one of the trailers gets a flat or one of the trucks breaks down or one of uh, you sometimes we'd show up and in the gym there's oh the school forgot about us has happened all the time and you know they left in the a thousand chairs or whatever we had to move right and, you know so yeah. it um it was a hard season incredible season but uh yeah thankful to be to be through that season too was your kids ministry in uh classrooms uh it was in the cafeteria and oh, then the school had some unique larger hallways and you know we the way the school system worked here they're incredibly the uh School division that we're in was incredibly gracious to us, let us be yeah. there. Uh, but using the classrooms was off limits just because that was the teacher's area and their teachers like their classrooms. Yeah. 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 So we had to be creative and, uh, yeah. you know, uh, use some of these wider hallways, but it, it worked. And um, we're thankful that uh, we were mm-hmm. able to be there for so long. But uh, I don't know if we'd still be in there. COVID kind of changed a lot of things. So I see kind of God's timing in that is there's kind of the relationships between school divisions and outsiders. Coming yeah. in is obviously always a little bit of a a, uh, a variable, and uh, I felt sometimes like uh, I was a foreign missionary. As I was just giving gift cards to uh, custodians and gym teachers and yeah, principals yeah. and holding it all together, yeah. and just saying, "I'm so sorry. We'll try to do it better." But yeah. you know, we're guests here. How do you want this done? And uh, you say jump, we say how high, and, and but uh, yeah. So so it, we, we, thanks be to God, He really He went before us in that season mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. sure. So how far into your um, your experience at the portable site did you start thinking about another building? Or did you, you already knew that you were going to just do this interim and then start prepping for developing a new site? Yeah, I think we kind of knew right from the start that if, if yeah. this church, by God's grace, continues to grow, we'll need a permanent home. Just because we could always tell the relationship was never very stable right. with the yeah. school. Um 
and it would change with each new superintendent or principal or, or custodian and gym teacher that came in there. Uh, and so uh, we were looking for land you know, throughout, not that we had money for land through all that season. Um, and then, um, I can't remember exactly what year we finally were able to purchase a former lumber yard, uh, nearby, thankfully mm. we wanted to kind of stay in the area. Yeah. And, um, we had kind of been as a church trying to have our financial strategy to live with the discipline of paying a mortgage before we had one, just to say, Hey, this is coming. And so we had saved up some money to pay for that land. And, uh, and then the process started of just, you know, designing and building and capital campaign and all those things for, uh, a more permanent home. How long from the time of your capital campaigns beginning, uh, until the end of you, uh, being in the facility, what was the length of time left remaining? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I, I'm going to, I'm pretty sure it was about two years from the start of our capital mm-hmm. campaign. Now my executive pastor may correct me on that, but <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. I think we started a you capital can round campaign it all. evangelistically speaking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think it was about two years. And so we, we did a three year campaign and, and there was still a year of commitments coming in. And you know, if, if, if our listeners have ever done capital campaigns that life changes for people, these are, you know, they make commitments based on today's realities and life changes. And so some mm-hmm. people, we have some people still seven years later, or I guess it would be nine years later from the capital campaign still contributing because they life changed for them, but they still want to honor that, which is a, yeah. know, a beautiful thing. And so, uh, it was about two years and, um, we were in our building, uh, and, uh, it was an incredible celebration, uh, to mm. have a space of our own where we could do things we couldn't, like we just couldn't ask the school often for Christmas Eve services because of their commitments or even good Friday, things like that. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. So, um, and then your church, of course, since then is, is continuing to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks be to God. Uh, still yeah. people inviting and, and, uh, you know, there's that old rule of thumb where if your church is 80% full, it's full, uh, yeah. because it just emotionally is full. There's odd scattering of seats. And so to have room for people to invite friends and, um, and, uh, we, it's exciting just that, uh, all, that's how we grow people inviting friends saying, Hey, I'll, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll show up. And we try to do things once in a while to support that, whether it's giving them an invitation or a postcard at strategic times like Easter, or Christmas Eve, yeah. or just a, an invite to, but almost a hundred percent of our advertising comes through, uh, something that comes with a personal invite. And so text invites mm-hmm. people can use. If you text this, we'll give you an invite. You text it onto your friends and, uh, yeah, by God's grace, it's, uh, continue to grow, but with the pandemic in there, which was an interesting season where everybody's attendance went to zero for a while. So, yeah, for sure. You know, so when you, you have a second service now, when mm-hmm. you first got into the building, did you have a second service at the time? We did. Yeah. We've been at two services for, I can't remember how long and we really like it because it gives people uh, the opportunity to serve in one and our kids yeah. ministry needs so many people, some of our best people and then attend one. And so uh, you were at two services in the school and, and you just carried that right over. Exactly. Yeah. Just, okay. And and one of our volunteers said it so well. We for this Christmas Eve, we did uh, six services to reach out to our community, and and we might have been able to, for numbers to do one less than that. But one of our volunteers got, who gets the vision said it's not necessarily about space; it's about options. And the same yeah. thing's true about Sunday mornings, where as much as we want 
church to be the number one or, you know, following the Lord to be the number one priority expressly going to church. Um, people have kids in hockey, people have yeah. kids in other things. And so giving options has been an exceptional thing for so many families to mm. make church mm. work outside of uh, other commitments that they value. Yeah. So I, I know that, you know, the, the mega church in, you know, present times, uh, has kind of received a bit of a bad rap. Um, Part of that is obviously some leadership fallout um, that's that's that gets covered. You know, they tell the ten stories of people who fail, but not the thousand stories of those who continue to serve faithfully. Um, but some might say, like big churches, mega churches, they're kind of a big show. They can cater, you know, uh, they uh, cater to a consumerist culture. Pastor's got a glittering jacket on, and he comes in on strings and ropes and. Um, <laughs> Maybe I'm embellishing here. Uh, but for those who say that about, you know, you're just a big show and you're just drawing Christians from other places, how would you respond to that? Well, I think there's legitimate concerns in those criticisms that you always have to be aware of and always yeah. be asking honestly before the Lord, where is my heart? Where, why are we yeah. doing this? And But the other side of that is that churches grow for a reason. You know, we were a small church. And uh, we try to be very intentional in our relational practices. Uh, one story that I'll share is a family uh, bought a house, a very involved family bought a house about 45 minutes away from us. And then you just kind of know, they say, oh, we're going to keep coming, but you probably should find someplace closer. And yeah. they did. They went to a small church, but they were surprised by this church. They just said, I can't, I'm trying to connect, but I can't connect. And so they've actually made the decision they're going to come back and keep coming. And they said it was because our church is so relational. And hey, and that's, I'm not right. I guess it sounds like I'm bragging. Maybe I am, but it's a story when I got, we got it right. There's times when we've failed too, but what yeah. are your processes? You know, your systems are currently designed to give you the exact results you're getting. If you don't like yeah. the results, that's right. what are your routines? What are your systems? And so we try to be very careful in building in redundancy. And I'm using that kind of in a software term of, you know, double checks to make sure yeah. if someone signs up for something, someone's calling them back and then we're going to make sure they got called back and there's a double check because if you, you know, more than a show, we're asking, we've never backed away from asking people for full devotion to Jesus Christ expressed in serving, joining community, giving generously of your resources, inviting other people. If people do that, whether your church is big or small, hopefully you have some systems more than just your memory to ensure that people are connecting. Yeah. And uh, so we, we, sorry, go ahead. No, and I think that's important with size and scale, especially uh, that you have to be, if you want to be a welcoming culture, you really got to systematize it and work at it mm -hmm. um, and do due diligence at responding when people when people are courageously putting their heart on their sleeve and filling in a connecting card, for example, and they turn it in and they don't hear from your church in a month. Yeah. I mean, that sends a message to them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember one church I worked in, I came into the new role. I was replacing uh, another person in the role before and I opened up the drawer and there was a stack of connecting cards there filled in that were never followed up on. Oh, man. I thought, oh my. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, no. Those are worth yeah. their weight in gold if someone is going to take that step, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah. Um, what about the other criticism though, that, that, you know, big churches are, you know, a mile wide, but an inch deep in terms of spiritual formation and discipleship. Uh, what are you guys doing to, once people, you know, make those commitments to Christ, uh, mm -hmm. to help them along the journey towards spiritual maturity? 
Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, you know, because as a leader, you're always asking, is it working? Is the system working? Yeah. And yeah. if we're honest, you always want more fruit. You always want more fruit than you're actually getting. Yeah. And, um, and so how do you define success? A great, uh, probably many of our readers have heard of Jim Collins and uh, yeah. listeners, I should say, good to, good to great. They've read that. Uh, he also writes an addendum to that book called Good to Great in the Social Sectors, which is That's right. really helped us as a church because, you know, it says in business, your measure of success is easy. It's a metric of money in versus money out and produ- produced. But in, in nonprofits, um, your measures of success is results against mission and the mission of going to all the world and make disciples, you know, teaching mm-hmm. them to obey. Um, <clears throat> and so what does success look like for us? It's a little bit softer than a de- defined metric, you know, on a spreadsheet right. in yeah. businesses. So we ask questions like, is anyone here accepting Christ? Like, are, are, do we have baptism stories? And, yeah. and so you can go online and see some of our baptism stories. We do uh, almost all of them by video, which is a way for them to share their story. It takes away the emotion of the moment so that they can be fully present uh, instead of saying it live, you know, and it helps us be a little more predictable in our service lengths, like mm-hmm. we were talking about with guests, because as Rob, as good as things are in the main service, one of my friends said, the Holy Spirit leaves the nursery after an hour, you know, so, you know, you gotta, so, <laughs> so true being predictable. So, you know, are people accepting Christ? Is anyone getting baptized? Um, is evangelism happening? That's a marking marker of yeah. spiritual growth. Is anyone inviting Christ? Are are people joining life groups and giving of their free time to be in community, not only for their benefits, but to help other people? Um, are people serving? Uh, and how is the level of our serving teams? Are uh, are people being generous? Are they laying down their resources and, and their finances? And so... Uh, those are all things we have to ask continually monitor the levels of to and yeah, there's other yeah. factors those are just some off the top of my head to say yeah, yeah does our model of church work and you need to ask that if you're a big church or you're a small church and yeah, um, for sure. yeah so yeah i appreciate colton's addendum there i mean he he talks about the difference between uh qualitative metrics versus quantitative right and there's some things you can quantify like how many people mm-hmm. served on a sunday and whatnot but life change how do you quantify that that's that's really challenging totally. so totally it's yeah. those qualitative stories that you hear and uh, you're starting to track and pay attention to. Um, mm-hmm. And those are a little bit less tangible, but they're very important if you're going to know um, yeah. what God is really doing in your church. Do you guys yeah. do any follow-up? Like, do you have like a beginner discipleship class or do you, um, you, you obviously have a small groups ministry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we run Alpha uh, a few times yeah. a year, which we just really believe in. It's phenomenal. Uh, I don't know if you... Uh, Listeners have seen the Alpha film series that came out a number of years ago, which is incredible. Yeah, Starting yeah. discussion, yeah, we use that, but we also have a bit of a unique um, life groups model that allows us, we feel, to hopefully put people into groups a bit sooner um, mm. than, and that is, um, and when this isn't always the case, and it doesn't always work, but we make our own curriculum, and so um, we make our own cur- curriculum by the pastor who teaches Sunday or another pastor, and it okay, complements. Yeah. The same topic. There was a great book that came out. Um, I think it was by uh, I can't remember the, who put it out, but it was called The Big Idea, and it just kind of criticizing how sometimes churches, you know, you get one idea on the on the reader board on the way in, then you get another idea in the welcome, and another idea in the worship, and another idea in the message. That's right. Yeah, you add that up times fifty two weeks, you've got like you know three hundred and fifty things to change in your life. Uh, in a year. I don't know if I can do that. Like, can I even change yeah. one, one thing a week? Like, can I work on one thing for a week? And so we try to have our ser- services around one idea that hopefully 
as uh, I think it was Haddon Robinson that said, you know, a sermon is a bullet. It's not buckshot. Mm-hmm. It's one idea. And yeah. hopefully we said, what if the whole service is like that? But then, hey, what if we make our life groups like that? And then this is the time when you can go into your groups during the week and say, uh, you know, I don't know if I agree with Dustin said, or, or what does this look like if I actually believe the message on Sunday and tried to do that as a mom? So I think it makes, it's still a big step to join community. But um, we have had incredible success putting new believers or non-believers into life groups, not only for their success, but also for the success of the group. Because sometimes if you're honest, if you've been in group with the same people too long, it's like, here we go again. And it's story. Yeah. And, you know, oh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, you know, and it's like yeah. it, and, and you, you see things instead of it being boring, if there's a new a first time person in there it livens up the discussion because you're, you're seeing like almost like inviting them to church and you're seeing the Bible through their eyes. So we have had a lot of success. And if I could, I don't know if, uh, show you an example of something I drew out the, um, there's often, you know, a a window diagram. Yeah. But if we're trying to get someone here, if this is the saved line, this is the church line. If you're trying to get someone, who's unsaved, unchurched to obviously a position where they know Christ and are in a church family. The dominant theory for many years in Christian world was to get them saved, you know, and 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 then into community. Yeah. And the numbers on that, and I'm not going to know all evangelism is good evangelism, but the numbers of people still walking with the Lord 10 years after a crusade are not good. And, and, yeah. and again, I don't want to knock that. All evangelism is good evangelism. And I have people in my church that have come to Christ that way. But they found if you get people into a believing church, and even if they're not in their community, and they can try before they buy, and they can belong before they believe. That's right. Yeah. The long-term effects of that, getting them down here, are exceptional. And uh, so... That's an answer to your question. A few yeah. of our strategies, but we're always looking for better ideas. Yeah. yeah, belonging before believing. Yeah, so significant. I think the book you referred to is by Ferguson, the the big idea mm, book. Yes, there. yeah. Yeah, it's a great yeah. book. Yeah. So yeah, you're doing uh, pulpit-based small groups. Uh, a number of churches, do, like a life church would do something like that, right? So, And it, and it ties what you hear Sunday morning to uh, what you're discussing and working through together yeah. as a church. It's a lot of work, though. Uh, it is. It's to a do ton it to of make work. sure because you got to yeah. get it out to your leaders, yeah. especially if leaders are meeting on Sunday night. And and as a lead pastor, or the or the or this is the it's not the lead pastor, as the teaching pastor, you have to be far enough ahead that it gives your team enough uh, time to also prepare a message that's recorded ahead of time and good questions. But it is we've found it to be exceptionally worth it. And uh, it's just so much value. So I, I highly recommend it because I think, you know, taking a step for as an outsider into groups is a big step. If we yeah. say, hey, we make our own curriculum and, and, and you can discuss things here, it makes it a little bit more accessible of a step. And, um, and it just, again, I think is so good to unify our church around, you know, if you apply one idea this week, one idea, we want you to actually try this out and try to build your life upon the rocks, use Jesus' words of actually do this. Yeah. Uh, um, so, so you said you, yeah, you know, you had identified people in your congregation who were bringers. Uh, is there anything that you've done to help, um, generate a bringer culture? Well, yeah, I think, uh, one of the things we've said, just, you know, the biggest thing we build in trust, like we talked about before yeah, yeah, yeah. and, uh, making sure it's a consistent experience because people know they're not going to get burned. They're not going to get embarrassed. Um, we've yeah. tried, you know, every church has to make decisions on what's the quality of our service. Is it, can you play in the band if you 
are taking just picked up a guitar you know like right. every church says, yeah. what, what's the level and uh we've always tried uh to let the artists be the artists and we've kind of tried to have a church culture that people are very proud to invite their friends to and um the cool thing about that is good artists they actually only want to usually play with other good artists because they sound good yes, and they almost create right. a yeah. culture yeah. of that and i think that's biblical too you know you look at um the commands for building the tabernacle and it's, Hey, go find Bezaliel. I have gifted him with these craftsmanship gifts. I mm-hmm. think it's the same thing for the arts. And so having, and that's not just, you know, who you put on your worship team or not, but it's also the technology choices and the decisions you make. We've made some expensive decisions along the way because we felt this leads to a more consistent experience for outsiders coming for our church family coming. They just want to be proud to invite their friends to yeah. uh, hear the gospel and 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 uh, partner with people. And we say to people, hey, like, we understand that maybe you don't know all the answers or you don't know uh, how to phrase things, but we're here to help. And we can't mm-hmm. reach those people without you. God has specifically placed you on that cul-de-sac, on that sports team, you know, in that workplace. And, and yet God's given us as a church together, not individually, but together gifts to be the body of Christ. And so... Um, the closest thing you might experience to being in God's presence now is in the church. And it's like, you're, you're with them when, when you, so we'll do our part, you do your part and it's a partnership. So th- those are a few things that come off the top of mm-hmm. my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we're, we're seeing um, what we would call the rise of the nuns and the duns in, uh, in our present day. So uh, particularly among millennials and, and, and now upcoming Gen Z, um, emerging adults are kind of evacuating church and mm-hmm. some are losing their faith. Some are just leaving church and uh, doing other things. Um, what's your church been doing uh, with the next generation, with emerging adults? Mm-hmm. Um, you guys been trying to, are you guys experiencing the same things? Are you, are you uh, trying to reach out to this next gen? Yeah, there's definitely some of that. And and again, you know, you're never satisfied with your even one person leaves. Yeah. But in general, we've been uh, having some great traction these last number of years mm-hmm. uh, through a new strategy that I really can't take a lot of credit for. It's just Daryl Jansen, our director of uh, student ministries or, you know, student pastor, where we just realized that we're kind of in a season in culture where there's a bit of a prolonged adolescence. And yeah. so we started um, a young adult group called The Living Room that meets Thursday nights. And uh, again, it uses often our small group curriculum, just so it's not an overbearing responsibility of teaching weight onto our um, student pastors. And they have a large group kind of hosted thing where they have some fun and then watch that video and then break into small groups and we feed them a dinner every night. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been, it's, so in some ways it's like youth group, but it's a little more chill. It's a little more mature through the meal and it's expensive, but we've been seeing some great success with that. I can't say we have it hundred percent figured out, yeah. but we're better than we were six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And again, it's that real belonging, you know? Um, and then, you know, following that, they'll break off and play spike ball and things. And there's, it's really cool. We got one guy uh, a few years ago where he's like, yeah, I'm not sure about the whole resurrection of Jesus thing, but I love spike ball. So I'm coming back every week. And so <laughs> just those things to build connection. Yeah. And they just had their first retreat. They went out to um, a camp nearby and just to see these, uh, yeah, these, these, I think we'd be a little over a hundred young adults every week that are connected. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. And, uh, and, and some are bigger than that. So we're, we're trying to um, do whatever we can to hope uh, facilitate 
making this faith your own as, 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 you know, there's so many transitions going on of the, in, in your life from moving out of your parents' home or university. And, um, yeah. And, and yet I would say to that as well, there seems to be post pandemic where we are at least a bit of a fresh wind blowing where, um, mm. Wes, who I mentioned before, was in the grocery store a few weeks ago and bumped into two young adult guys who just said, hey, you work at Oasis? And he goes, yeah. He says, yeah, you know, we just thought we'd uh, give church a try. Uh, We're looking Mm -hmm. for something more. And so we've been hearing stories about that. And so um, if it is the case and and the Holy Spirit is working on people's hearts and lives in maybe an exaggerated way than what we've seen in in the past number of years, I just hope and pray that our sails are set to be able to receive that and steward that well. Yeah, but your your preaching practice, you know, when you're trying to um, contextualize your messages, mm-hmm. um, do you do you ever have young adults in mind or emerging gen as as you're walking through it in terms of application? Totally, and and I, I'll just say up front that uh, I I don't do it as well as I should. I've asked my uh, <laughs> student ministry team to get after me in times when yeah, I yeah. fail to do that because yeah. sometimes you know you default to just the season of life that you're in. Uh, but I try to uh, one of the things uh, from the book uh, communicating for a change that is so good is just thinking through the concentric circles of application of uh, people's influence. You know their their job, their school, their places of uh, recreation, but also seasons of life where that's kids in high school, uh, which which for us is kind of, or, or middle school, younger than that, they're probably in our kids ministry environments, but then young adults and all the questions of what does this mean as you're trying to figure out your major in college or choose a profession as, uh, you know, young families or singles or, uh, parents with kids. And, uh, what does this mean for you as you're going through, you know, uh, the years of parenting that seems so long, or as you become an empty nester or a senior citizen, what would it mean if you actually lived out this practice in retirement? You know, the the message of retirement we get from our culture is, you know, you're going to get this RV, you're going to be riding into the sunset. That's not yeah, a, yeah. that's not a, that's not a message. And so thinking about applying it to them too, what would it mean if you got all, this unique season where you have all this time and often money, you can be like a full-time worker in our church. And so uh, we recently just hired a pastor to seniors because We've just seen some of our most incredible volunteers week mm. after week are these people with time who come and show ownership for driving one of our trucks to clear the snow off our lot or paint walls. Or I uh, have this one guy named Marv who is just incredibly loves woodwork and he's built so many little things that I needed for a mm. tool to a chair to do, or excuse me, a, a stool to do communion off and things like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but right. original question, I, I need to get better at that. But definitely, uh, I get I get a talking to you from some of our student ministry team, and it's like you know you got to need more applications for people in high <laughs> school or in university, and so I'm trying to get right. better at that. And not just to try and use the slang. That was yeah, lit, whoa. guys. Yeah. <laughs> this is bumping. Yeah. Oh yeah, my boys make fun of me if they any, any whiff of that. I gotta yes. <laughs> it's disingenuous. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes if you hang out with like like as I do in the college setting, you just start picking up these idioms uh, <laughs> just naturally. So, oh, yeah. um, well, I'm glad you're feeding them. I think that's a great tactic, and, yeah. and not a tactic, but it creates community and all that. But you know, emerging adults uh, they will gather around food. I mean, that's a great yeah. way to bring them together. And obviously, yeah. they can't host their own small groups. So if you can host a you know a table group experience in a in a larger venue. They get the best of both worlds. They get the larger community plus their own intimate space. So well said. Um, yeah, that's that's great. Um, how have you guys been developing leaders uh, in your setting? 
Do you have a leadership pathway? I know a, a lot of larger churches that's that's on their minds. I mean, even smaller churches, but I mm-hmm. mean, they, like, what would a leadership pathway look like for us? Um, even going towards hiring staff. Totally. Yeah. And so uh, we, we have a few things that we really lean into. One is a generic leadership training. I'm still a big believer in the Global Leadership Summit. And yeah. one of the reasons for that is for me, I was sponsored uh, by a individual in our church to work with a leadership coach out of Toronto a few years ago. And she was very good. It was exceptional. I learned a lot. But I think there was eight or 10 areas we kind of went through. And in every one of those areas, I had been introduced to the topic or the primary or secondary author we were looking at. And I was like, where have I learned all this stuff? And I looked back of, it was from being an attendee at the Global Leadership Summit mm, for the last mm. 22 years or so. Yeah. Uh, and I and so I was just looking back, I'm so thankful. So we are now a host site, which I just love because all this leadership training, um, you know, funnels down not only into our staff, but some of our volunteers who take off time in the summer to be there. So uh, going through that, I was just like, wow, they have, they have actually tapped into some of the leading voices in different, you know, the, some of the classic functions of leadership, yeah. whether that's team building, vision casting, raising resources, uh, so many of the things I've I learned about there. So that would be a generic thing. Specifically, um, we, we, we invest in a lot of conferences, uh, networks. Uh, we're part of a network of like-minded churches, which is so good at, at discovering mm. the why behind the what of what we're doing. Yeah. Does, does your what support your why? If not, Let's change it. Let's let's look at that. And so that that uh, network, um, which is called um, the Irresistible Church Network, uh, puts okay. us in co- conversation with uh, other churches like us. Not just for me, but I'm a call group monthly, and other our leaders are in call groups monthly with people in other churches, and they can say, "Hey, I have this trouble," or you know, this whether yeah. that's space or people problems, and and uh, so. Uh, but this network also supplies some exceptional training job specific roles where you know there's training out there but if you're actually trying to be a church that reaches people far from god it's a little bit different than sometimes what you hear in church uh the generic church training or maybe what you get denominationally which which is a mixed bag could be very good or very very bad so those are kind of our two main streams but at the end of the day we try to be very generous as well with you know audible or uh books to, for people to read. If, if they have a request for resources or conferences, mm. we'll try to do our best to raise resources to get them there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you guys are, are obviously, you're not part of a denomination, right? So you're right. non-denominational. Yeah. So you've had to kind of develop these networks of relationships with like-minded churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a whole lot of sharing that's going on in those networks. Is that correct? Exactly. And yeah. we, we uh, one of my, you know, one of my professors back when I was in Saskatoon, a great guy named Murray Colin, who's been a pastor for years. I learned so much from him. Um, and he, uh, he talked about taking anti-NIH pills, NIH being not invented here. And uh, if someone <laughs> has a great idea, you, you're obligated to make that your own and employ it and don't be afraid of. And, and you know, the cool thing is, is yeah. our church has grown a bit. We've been able, one of the most th- fun things for us is we help other churches every every week of the year, whether that's with facilities or, uh, you know, curriculum or just some of the things we've learned and just uh, uh, being generous because we're all on the same team and, and uh, we, we need more healthy churches, not less. Yeah. Yeah. One of the books I signed to uh, my homiletic students, my communication students as well, is Austin Cleon's book, Steal Like an Artist. Um, mm. 
Mm-hmm. And the premise of the book is essentially all art is theft. And he's quoting Picasso when he says that. Mm. I mean, all art is theft. I mean, every artist didn't just create their art in a vacuum. They learned it from somebody else. And then they modified it and they changed it and they shaped it. And and I think, uh, you know, I'm not suggesting he, – he makes a distinction between – plagiarism and borrowing ideas. Okay. But, uh, I think you're right. I mean, there's so much we can learn. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, there's so much we can gain from so many other people. I I find it interesting in our conversation together. I'm picking up little nuances of what you say and I'm like, yeah, I thought I was at that Willow Creek conference (laughs) (laughs) when Jim Collins was there and he stood Mm. up and he promoted his addendum, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you're talking, you know, just about your what matching your why and Simon Sinek uh, is mm. is there, you know, I just uh, so many of those things, but we learn them as we go in pastoral ministry from other people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're obligated before the Lord to bring best of breed practices, whether that's management, leadership, staff support, mental health resources, but also programming and kids. And, and uh, hey, uh, if someone else is doing it better, we're all on the same team. Why would we not learn and humbly? That's right. You know, it's it's always contextualized. What's what what you are doing in Moose Jaw is different than me in Winnipeg, or yeah. you know, my friend in Edmonton, or my buddy in uh, you know outside of uh, Vancouver. There's always that. But uh, at the end of the day, we're not doing this for our own glory. We're doing this for the Lord's. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I appreciate uh, the posture of places like like. Rochelle and Life Church is they're yeah. just giving it all away. Yeah. You know, they're not going to hold on to it. You can mm-hmm. you can put your own name on it. It doesn't matter. They don't even need that. Um, just use it for the kingdom. And I and I I love that posture of being kingdom minded. And it hasn't hurt them. Like a lot a lot of times you want to publish it to maybe make some money for your church. But uh I think the Lord uh returns it to you in other ways if you just so generous and just give it away. So Yeah, well yeah. said. And they're such a great example of that in so many ways. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, I wondered if as we close here, our time is almost gone and I'll have to get you back on here again to talk further about some other things. But uh, I wonder if you could um, give a final word of encouragement to our listeners. You have a lot of ministry leaders out there who are, who are leaning in uh, to this conversation. Um, give us a final word. I guess my encouragement would just be to keep going. Um, these have been hard years and uh, I, I kind of feel maybe the winds are changing a bit. And, uh, you know, Jesus has said, uh, I've sent you to reap what you have not sown. And for many mm. years, it sure hasn't felt like that at times. Yeah. Uh, maybe we're going into a season of that. Um, but in all things, you know, the days and details of our life are known to God. They matter to God. And uh, in all the things that we do, and we try our best to be excellent and craft good sermons, God is really the main attraction or the only attraction and, and the Holy Spirit's promise to do the heavy lifting for us. And so um, let's just remain faithful, obedient, diligent. And uh, and um, I always had the privilege of interviewing um, Dallas Jenkins, who's uh, behind The Chosen Project. Winnipeg's kind of become a film mm. destination. And uh, so he was here and he, I couldn't believe it. Uh, people were saying, is he really going to be there on Sunday morning? And thankfully he was. And, <laughs> yeah. and he makes so much out of the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, which has mm. been so huge for us as a church as well, that, you know, our best is not enough to feed God's people. But Dallas mm. said, you know, our job is to bring a good loaves and fish, a good offering. And then his job is to feed his people. Mm. And so uh, let's just yeah. remain humble and obedient in doing that. Yeah. Good word. Good word. Well, Dustin, thanks for joining us on Church in the North. Thanks for having me. What a privilege to be able to be here with you. Yeah, bless you. We'll talk again soon. 
Thanks, Rob. You've been listening to the Church of the North podcast, a production of Briarcrest College and Seminary. For more information about the podcast, visit churchinthenorth.ca. To learn more about Briarcrest, visit briarcrest.ca. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard today, please share this episode with other ministry leaders. 